everyone and welcome to Let's Talk MLOps. My name is Becky and I'm on a mission to find out the latest trends, challenges and prospects within machine learning and with a particular focus on machine learning operations or MLOps. Throughout this series, I'll be talking to experts within the field who will share their knowledge as well as advice for implementing, monitoring and scaling successful machine learning practices. Hello everyone and welcome to Let's Talk MLOps. I'm super excited to be joined today by Jamie Curtis, who is Practice Lead for Machine Learning and MLOps at Datatonic. Jamie, thank you so much for joining today. Could you tell us a little bit more? Sure. Uh, yeah, well, thank you for having me. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm Jamie, as, as you uh, very kindly introduced, I am the uh, Practice Lead for Machine Learning and MLOps at Datatonic. Um, who are Datatonic? We're, we're a small company. We're a a specialist data and AI consultancy. Uh, we hold multiple partnerships, but the primary partnership that we hold is with Google Cloud. So most of the work that we do is on uh, Google Cloud Platform. And my role within Datatonic is to oversee the machine learning practice. Um, that means I'm accountable for the uh, operational, the strategic and the commercial performance of uh, our machine learning solutions. Um, and of those solutions, we typically deliver solutions around uh, data science, uh, ML ops, ML engineering, uh, includes DevOps as well. So multiple solutions within the field of uh, machine learning and ML ops. Awesome, fantastic, thank you. I think a really nice place to be uh, to start. Sorry, would be you know starting with your personal journey into ML ops. You know, I know it's a relatively new term and field specifically, but how did it start? How did you get into it, and what interested you? Yeah, sure. So. Uh, I have to say, I kind of fell into it quite strangely. I, I love it now, um, but I, it wasn't really by design. Um, I have an engineering background, so um, I studied chemical engineering uh, as an undergraduate and master's degree, um, but then moved quickly into business consulting out of university. So um, I don't, I, I'm not an engineer um, uh, by in the sense that uh, of a kind of machine learning engineer or, or, or data scientist or software engineer or, or anything like that. But um, yeah, I, I entered MLOps more, for, certainly far more from, from the business side. Um, so from uh, moving from business consulting into uh, tech tech and data consulting, where, where we are at Datasonic, um, and then now more into uh, kind of leading the practice from a, uh, a strategic standpoint in particular. Um, but obviously needing to draw on uh, both commercial and technical expertise from people around me. Yeah, awesome. And and going right back to the basics then, in the last sort of seven to eight months that I've been, you know, researching MLOps and learning as much as I can, I've come across so many de different definitions and everyone seems to have uh, a different one, you know, with many different aspects and skill sets. How would how would you define MLOps for those who who haven't joined it yet? Yeah, sure. So I think there's a technical way of defining it, which is would be something like around creating a robust and standardized system, complete system for machine learning workloads to run in production. Uh, something, you know, be something like that. But it, it would basically be the, the, the concept of enabling machine learning models that are often created by a data scientist to be deployed and monitored in production um, and to, to be iterated upon um, and, and to be stable and secure and, and things like that. 
Um, like I say, I, I love to come at MLOps and machine learning from a, from a business perspective. So if I was to then define it as well from a business perspective, it's fundamentally about increasing the return on investment that you get from your data science investments. So it's, a, it's around looking at data science and thinking, how can we make that a, 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 an investment which returns more? Um, mm. that, that's, that ultimately for me is what MLOps should, should provide is the ability to, um, to, to make your data science investments more, more, more profitable. Yeah. So, so the, yeah, so then there's like the technical from a technical perspective, like you said, from a business perspective, is there, would it be fair to say there's a culture, sort of a culture perspective as well, when it comes to like the, I don't know if I would have understood that sort of feedback loop or communicative loop. Is that right? Have I understood correctly sort of that culture yeah. side? Yeah, for sure. For sure. There's, there's, um, there's also, I, I see MLOps as a way to bridge the gap between uh, data science and uh, ops, I guess, or, or, or what people might define as, you know, software engineers or internal IT operations teams, or perhaps even like site reliability engineers, but, but there historically has been a, a gap between the skill sets that a data, science, a data scientist has, uh, which will be around you know, uh, statistics, uh, machine learning techniques, um, uh, kind of the, the, the maths fundamentals um, and the skill sets that a, a DevOps engineer or software engineer might have, which are around, you know, automated testing, CICD, uh, infrastructure as code. And there's there's a gap really between the, those, those two uh, disciplines, mm -hmm. but there needs to not be a gap if you want to have machine learning running in production. So, um, MLOps and I guess the birth of the role of machine learning engineering or the MLE role, which is I think kind of a, a coined term now, um, that that is the, the birth of that role is, is almost designed to um, to close that gap between data science and, and software engineering. Does that mean that um, sort of the ideal MLOps engineer, let's say, needs to have both of those skill sets like to the max? Because that could yeah. sound, it could be quite a lot to ask from from one person. If that makes sense, it's a lot of skills, right? Or yeah, it's, so it's it's not saying that you need to have all of both, but it's saying that you need to be kind of. Uh, I think the term is T shaped enough that you understand yeah, enough. That, of yeah. Okay. So um, having an understanding of uh, on the data science as a machine learning engineer, having an mm. understanding of on the data science side, things like data validation, uh, evaluating models, you know, what metrics should we be looking at to evaluate, to understand that the model is performing? Uh, is F1 score enough or do we need to look at, you know, there's, there's hundreds of metrics that you can look at to, to evaluate the performance of the model. That's on the data science side. On the software engineering side, like I say, it's around like uh, CICD, containerization, uh, infrastructure as code, perhaps you need to understand Terraform to be able to do that. And so, um, yeah, uh, for me, the, the best machine learning engineers are people who understand enough of both to be able to create machine learning workloads and, and run them in production. Sure, that makes sense. And do you think there's also value in organisations that have the means to do so, um, you know, bringing on multiple MLOps engineers onto the team that may come from these diff different backgrounds? Is there value in that? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, it really depends how you want to set up your organization. Um, 
we and, and for, for me that one of the big decisions an organization needs to make is how centralized or decentralized they make their um, ML engineering function or the ML ops function, whatever we want to call it. Um, because data science is typically quite decentralized in the sense that um, you often don't have just a core data science team. What you'll have is data scientists embedded in your business function. So you might have a data scientist who is an expert in marketing, or you might have a data scientist who is an expert in uh, you know, time series forecasting. Um, but what you then often have by contrast is kind of a central, say, software engineering team or platform engineering team. Um, and so if you imagine you've got this central team here, but then you've got kind of your decentralized data science teams here, you need to work out where you want to put your ML engineers. Do you, do you decentralize them and have one, one ML engineer sit alongside all of your data scientists? Or do you centralize them and try and have uh, an ML engineer serve the needs of multiple data scientists? And that answers the answer to that question will answer your question. So if you want to um, to decentralize your ML engineering function, um, then you will probably need more ML engineers, um, but you'll probably have uh, more flexibility and more kind of customization towards the specific data science needs that you have. If you want to centralize it, then you probably need less ML engineers, um, but you you will be a bit more rigid in what you're able to offer all of your ML engineers. Thank you. So um, another point that I thought would be really interesting to touch upon is um, the article that you wrote recently, um, MLOps in 2023. I've had a look through, it's really fascinating. And I was hoping you might be able to, um, to tell us a bit about the main maybe trends, also some challenges and basically what you foresee coming, you know, over the next months. Yeah, for sure. Um, testing me a bit now on what I'd actually written at the time, but uh. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully I can I can remember off the top of my head. So um, I so data cent centricity mm. and the importance of data on machine learning and MLOps will definitely be one. Mm. Um, the, uh, the the kind of buzzwords that have been thrown around for for maybe the past year, maybe even the past eighteen months, are around kind of data mesh. Mm. Um, now things like data contracts coming in um, and basically the, the whole premise behind that is around ensuring that data is of adequate uh, quality and uh, ad adequate um, accessibility mm. by uh, machine learning practitioners, okay. be that data scientists or machine learning engineers. Awesome and then so I suppose in in your team specifically, what are the sort of the main challenges, MLOps specific challenges that you've, you're seeing a lot at the minute that other teams might be able to resonate with? Um, sure, definitely there is a, a theme around making data science more accessible, or but basically reducing the entry barriers for, for, for data scientists. Um, and when I say that, I mean the entry barriers for them to adopt uh, an, an MLOPC way of working. So um, ensuring that they are following best practices throughout the ML lifecycle. So, um, you know, using things like Git to store their, all their code. That for uh, a software engineer is just the most part and parcel thing of their day. Like what, you know, you'd almost, a software engineer might say, well, where else would you even store code, you know? Whereas yeah. for a data scientists who are doing 
things like offline experimentation, uh, they will store code locally on their on their laptop and just kind of play around in it in it there. Um, so yeah, the the there's a there's a theme definitely we're seeing around reducing the entry barriers for data scientists to adopt uh, kind of best practice uh, MLOps way of working. Oh, interesting. And do you, is that across all you know MLOps teams? Would you say, or does that affect some organisations more than others? Um, good question. Uh, I think it would affect some organisations more than others. Um, it, yeah, it, it, a lot of it depends on the um, maturity of your existing data science function um, and how used to, uh, how, yeah, how, how used to working in a uh, kind of engineering focused way that they are. Um, if they're used to working in a way that is uh, quite siloed from the business and uh, doesn't lend itself towards productionizing your machine learning workloads. Um, for example, you know, they've only ever done offline experimentation in a notebook somewhere, then that's, it, it will be quite difficult for them to overcome the hurdles or the, the entry barriers required to, um, to get closer to uh, the, the kind of software engineering and, and um, uh, platform engineering side of the business. Okay. Um, nice. Yeah, I think it, I think it does depend on the business, and um, mm -hmm. it would depend uh, definitely on on the um, uh, data science maturity of, of, of the business. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you for explaining. Um, from a leadership perspective, you know, as a lead yourself, um, do you have any tips then, um, you know, for people leading MLOps teams? You know, um, you, we spoke before about, you know, some of the different backgrounds the engineers may have or some of the challenges. Are there any tips you have that leaders, you know, can bear in mind or things that might help them with that process or things that you implement, you know, as a lead yourself? I think there are things relevant to specific skill sets. Um, and I actually made a LinkedIn comment about this probably only two hours ago, which is quite, oh, strange, okay. um, quite strange asking, but um, the for me, the most fundamental skill needed for leading an MLOps team or any, any technical team, not by the way, I should caveat, I don't lead a technical team, but the, the team that I lead is uh, more strategic and, and commercially mm -hmm. focused, but uh, we do work very heavily with our technical teams um, and to be able to collaborate and work well um, and I guess naturally uh, like I say not that I've led a technical team but to, to, to be able to lead a technical team I think mm. the most fundamental skill is the ability to communicate with people on a, a kind of within a common language or in a, um, a, a common way um, and the reason for that is because if you are a leader within it within any, any team you ultimately serve or you, your goal is to serve the business that you of which you're leading right uh, but equally it to do that you need to uh, lead and to, to delegate it to the team below you um in order to be able to understand the business you need to understand terms like roi or ebitda equally in order to be able to understand your technical teams you need to be understand. You need to be able to understand terms like CI/CD or uh, JSON-L or YAML. And and if you do, if you can't understand, it, or if you can only understand one of those things, then you're just adding to the gap 
in communication between the business and the, and the tech. So, and that's what MLOps is kind of trying to change, right? If from what I've understood, it's all that about that, bring them together. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, specifically with MLOps, it's around uh, bringing together uh, kind of data science use cases um, with uh, the kind of engineering fundamentals that are needed to have those, have those data science use cases actually adding value to your business. Um, but more broadly, I think for any leader in any uh, technically focused role or, or any role that ex exposes itself to technical teams at any point, um, the ability to communicate between the business and the tech is just so fundamental. Awesome. And then specifically from a business perspective, I know you did, you've did. you gone into it uh, slightly. What would you say are the, the main benefits for, for an organisation to, to work on implementing more MLOps practices than maybe they've had? I can't remember the specific name. I know that there are different levels, aren't there, of integration, I think. Is it maybe four sort of of how much MLOps is implemented in a business i can't forgive me i can't remember the exact um, names but no, no worries there's to be honest uh you could be referencing one of maybe five or six or yeah exactly six, i've seen a few different uh kind of like maturity frameworks or maturity assessments so um like i say at, at datasonic we are a google cloud partner so mm -hmm. most of the uh, or the, the way that we would define the uh, mlops maturity assessment is the one that's driven by google cloud i think they have three it's like a level zero level one and level two um, but I know Microsoft, Azure have their own, uh, NVIDIA probably have their own as well. Um, so yeah, the, loads of these kind of big players um, and big professional services firms as well will have their own kind of twist on a, a MLOps maturity assessment. Um, and, and what are, yeah, and what would you say are the benefits then, the main, from a business perspective of, of maybe improving, you know, or working more on that MLOps um, factor? Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is actually kind of, like I say, the most of my thinking about MLOps as a concept is around the answer to that question. It's like, okay, we've, we've got this cool concept that's come out, but really like what are the business benefits that it can provide to our customers? Um, and the way that I think about it in my head is to do the comparison of what the value life cycle of a, so you basically, if you, plot, if you plotted a graph of value over time, it's think about how that would look for a data science use case without any MLOps versus how it would look with, with MLOps in place. And um, the, it, the, the differences are quite stark. Um, it's obviously, I, I have some diagrams somewhere um, that I, I wouldn't be able to show you in, in quick, quick time at least, but um, you, can, you can basically imagine that it takes a long time for your data science model to even get into production um, because uh, for whatever reason you aren't able to deploy it or your data science team have built a model that you know can't be engineered in a way that can then run run sufficiently in production. Um, once it's in production uh, your data science model probably degrades almost instantly depends on the model but most models will degrade over time then you might have some sort of um, model failure whereby I don't know, a Python package update happens and you haven't accounted for it or you, you didn't know it was happening. So then you need to roll your model back. And basically all of these events in time happen to your data science model that you hope is running perfectly in production, but all they're doing is causing your, your uh, model performance to degrade. Mm -hmm. um, whereas with MLOps, 
what it aims to do is uh, get your model into production much earlier and to have it stay at a higher level of performance once it's there. So uh, to get it in earlier, it has kind of automated standardized processes to ensure that you can uh, de deploy your model to production at an earlier stage. And then to have it stay performant whilst it's there, you can have things like automated retraining, uh, uh, complex or, or um, uh, sophisticated serving methods like shadow deployment or uh, champion challenger deployment. Um, you can have monitoring, of course, to ensure that when it does degrade, uh, you can see that it's happening uh, and you can go in and rebuild some features or tune it in a different way. So MLOps is all around um, looking at what the life cycle of a data science use case looks like without any MLOps and, and all the events that could cause it to uh, degrade in its performance mm -hmm. and then to do things, uh, you know, automate processes or um, uh, create kind of standardization to ensure that uh, those events have as minimal effects as possible. Awesome. And in terms of those stages that we talked about, that there may there are like five or six variations. Um, so let's say you know an organization is watching this and they feel like they haven't implemented much yet. Do you do you know roughly how long it takes sort of to go through from one stage to the next? I imagine it depends, but is it possible to sort of get to a really high level of implementation quite quickly or is it a very lengthy process? Yeah, it, it really depends one on your use case and um, two, what you want to achieve. So if you have a simplistic use case that can be served by you know auto ml whereby you don't even really need to be a data scientist to create your machine learning model you just uh, find some uh, an auto ml that will compare multiple model types for you and spit out the best one um if you have a yeah simple use case that can be served by auto ml <clears throat> that has a simple data feed coming in and has very little likelihood of degradation um then you can probably serve your or have your model running in production in a matter of weeks, you know, maybe oh, even wow. okay. one or two weeks. Yeah. Um, equally, <clears throat> if you have very complex model that, uh, you know, has embeddings and relies on a very custom neural network to run, um, has very low latency requirements, for example. So, you know, it needs to serve in milliseconds. Um, a lot of fraud detection models are, are very similar to that. They have to serve results in you know milliseconds or even less. Um, then your the the ability to deploy your model and have it run accurately um, and, and sustainably in production is is very much hindered. So um, at that point, you could be looking at you know six to nine months to have one single model uh, built and deployed. Um, or, or longer, you know, we have clients who build very complex models and it takes them 18 months. Um, sure, yeah, I suppose, yeah, so it mu there must be a, a massive variation in depending on the company size and needs, but but that's a good sort of at least, you know, so they have a an idea of, of what it might look like. I think that's really useful. Thank yeah. you. Um, 
I think an awesome uh, question to end on, and that can be MLOps related or or just general AI related or, you know, a way that fits in both would be, you know, in your opinion, what's the most exciting thing going on or what do you what do you feel most excited about or most passionate about that's happening over the next few months? I know, feel free, we can we can talk about it, but I know everyone, of course, is talking about chat GPT. We can still talk about it, that, um, but um, you know, there are lots of exciting things going on. What what what's exciting you the most? Um, yes, yeah, so, so it's actually not Chat Chat GPT. Um, it is obviously <laughs> incredible, like as uh, in in terms of a certainly in terms of marketing tool and getting people talking about it. It's definitely yeah. broken down the barrier, I think, of making AI more accessible. Um, yeah. The thing I am most excited about, though, personally, is the. Uh, and I actually strangely think the downturn in economy might increase this or, or accelerate this will be the um, emphasis on delivering real return on investment from data science use cases. Okay. So what I mean by that is a lot of companies will experiment with data science under the almost kind of um, uh, like a blind assumption that it will generate value and actually the it like it should do in most cases uh, if you if you've picked your use case correctly um, but that's not always the case um, and a lot of uh, often strategic work is needed up front and kind of things like use case discovery to ensure that you've picked a use case that will uh, that will solve your business need and then that you've built it in a way that's it delivers real real return on investment and you've built it in a way that you can actually track that return on investment and the cost of running the use case and things like that so i think the 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 impetus will increase on tracking effectively kind of financial inputs and outputs that are going in towards data science efforts Oh, awesome. No, that's really interesting. Like, like I said, like you said, everyone, you know, to go just slightly steering away from the chat GPT and talk about something that, like you said, interestingly, may become more apparent after, you know, the downturn and everything. So that's a, a really cool, you know, slightly different topic to, to bring on the table. Thank you so much. I'm afraid that's all um, we've got time for today. Thank you so much, Jamie, for joining, uh, sharing your, you know, all of your tips, especially from such an interesting perspective as from the business side of MLOps. Um, that's really fascinating. Uh, so thank you very much. Thank you to everyone watching as well. I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode. See you soon. Let's end with a little bit about Logic. At Logic, we recruit specifically within the machine learning engineering and research fields in the UK, Canada and the US. We pride ourselves on our innovative community-led approach and having a deep knowledge and understanding of the roles that we recruit for. That's one of the reasons why I've started this podcast. If you're looking for your next professional challenge, or on the other hand, you might be an organisation looking to expand your machine learning team, then please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn and send me a message. Alternatively, you can send me an email to becky at logic.com. Let's set up a call for a chat or we can meet in person for a coffee.